When I pray each morning, um, it just was something that I started to do. It's something that was a reminder for me. It both, um, it became a, uh, an important part of prayer. I did it yesterday. I did it this morning. I try to do it each morning. There's five statements that I will make right before I kneel or sit or just walk and pray. And I want to give them to you today. It's the last one that probably has um, a, a more of a residue than all of them. You want to get your phones ready or if you could type fast. I'm not going to keep them up long. But I want to give you the five things that I say. Some of them may apply. Some of them or just get your own prayer quotes. But these are mine. Um, the first one you've heard me say before. It's from... Uh, the man that started this church, David Wilkerson says, God always makes a way for a praying man. I, w- I will say that. And, and so I-, I will say that first. Every time I get ready to pray, God always makes a way for a praying man or a praying woman. Number two, it's from Martin Luther. It reminds me every time I preach, he was prayed well, has studied well, which is so important. I, I say this to those that preach, those that may be watching or ministers Around the, around the country and around the nations. I'm gonna tell you this, I, I can tell you from experience, because I've been part of it, I have preached messages that have been well studied, but have not been well prayed through. And what you do, what you do is, you can affect the mind and the intellect, but only a praying pastor can go right to the heart. So you're gonna to have to realize that he was prayed well, has studied well. Number three, this is an important one. Samuel Chadwick said, hurry is the death of prayer. Hurry is the death of prayer. That means if I'm just trying to get in and get out, it's, it's, it's really is calling for time. Relationship calls for time. In fact, that goes right along with something my spirit, one of my spiritual fathers said, Leonard Ravenhill, it's the fourth one that I'll always say, and it's this, to be much for God, you must be much with God. To be much for God, you must be much with God. But here's the one, the final one, that has seemingly has weight to it. It's, it there's a little bit... Of this, uh, of this issue to it that sticks with me and gives me the feeling that, the more, that more is happening when I'm on my knees than I can ever imagine. And it's what an old theologian named Walter Wink said, and he said this, history belongs to the intercessors. History belongs to the intercessors. That, that sentence there seems to put something deep in my spirit that keeps me on my knees. I know this may be controversial. I know it may take some that have a certain theological bent to certain places, which I make no apologies for, but I do believe this, that prayerlessness in the church at times has affected and altered history. That because the church hasn't prayed and the church hasn't sought God, that I believe that there are things that, that should have been got, could have been done that have been left on the table. Or I heard as someone said, heaven is full of answers to prayer for which no one ever bothered to ask. That I, that, that I have to tell you, when I read that, I kept thinking to myself, I don't want to leave one answer in heaven that God is saying to us, just ask me, and I'll do this for your life, for your family, for your children, for your marriage, for the church, for the country, for the city. That's why this is so this, this, this series is so important to us because I think where we're facing, not just us as a nation, but what your nation may be facing, that I realize that to get nations back on their feet, we must first get the church down on its knees. 
And I feel like that we've got this all wrong. We're, we're, trying to, we're trying to fix a nation from all these other avenues that God is calling us to get back on our knees again. And I think we have sacrificed seeing historical things done and we've sacrificed it. Now, I, I'm going to say something that I know has a place in the church because I'm part of it, that, but it's not what drives and makes the difference. We have sacrificed, I think, historical matters for, for simply having counseling churches and singing churches and communicating churches, but have left out praying churches. Churches that would just get on their knees and pray. And we've gathered, uh, we've gotten singing churches instead of praying churches. We've given up. Now they know even, they, I had somebody tell me before that we don't even, we don't like to use the word preacher is what they told me. We like to call you guys communicators now. I said, well, you can just keep calling me a preacher. I said, because I'm not, that's the last thing I want to be called. I said, this is not a lectern, and this is not, a, this is not something that, that we do just to, in, to, just to get some information in people's head. I want fire to touch our heart and souls. And so you get churches that can preach and churches that can communicate or sing, but don't change history. Folks, listen to me. There's not a sermon I can preach that can send revival. There's not a song Ricardo and the team can sing that can turn the tide on immorality and bring conviction down. But there is a church that would seek God and pray that literally can begin to be the game changer of things that can happen and even turn on the course of history. And it's all because you prayed. And let me just give you a side note why this is so important for us. While people are searching in ministries, let me speak to leaders, even worship leaders that are out there. Because this is the verse that, that I'm so thankful for our leadership in TSC Music and Ricardo and Kareem and Elder Vicky, our choir. Listen to these words. Get these down. Psalms 22, 26 says, Those who seek the Lord will praise Him. Which means that, folks, we better be able to say, none of this matters. Bring the curtain down. You don't need a wall. You don't need lights. You don't need it. If you seek him, you will praise him. So, which means that the first order of business is that when we remove props, if we are truly a church that is praying and seeking God, we will automatically be a church that will lift our hands, lift our voices, and begin to praise him. Seek the Lord and you will praise him. It was in the late 1800s that five young college students were spending a Sunday in London, England, because they wanted to go to the famous Metropolitan Tabernacle Church and see Charles Spurgeon preach. And so they got there early to make sure that they would get a seat in this massive building that doesn't, didn't exist um, in other parts of the world. It was really one of the first mega churches in the world that had some 5,000 people that would come each Sunday morning to hear the great Spurgeon preach. So they didn't know what door to go in. They ended up going through a side door where they were greeted by a an older gentleman who said, gentlemen, let me show you around the church. And then he gave them the oddest request. They said, would you young seminary students like to see the furnace room and what warms the church? And they, they said, we were, they realized that we weren't particularly interested for it was a hot day in July, but they didn't want to offend the stranger. They said, well, sure. They said, we have 
45 minutes before service starts. So they took the five young Bible school students down a stairway into the basement and opened up a door and said, this is our furnace room. And when they opened up the door, there were 700 people already praying over the church and said, this is where the fire comes from. This is where it happens. And folks, I can't, and then, and then the man introduced himself as Spurgeon. He said, the reason why I can do what I do is because the people that you don't see are praying underneath the floor of this church. See, what kept that church or any church on fire was 700 people in the basement. It's not the pastor. It's not, it's not anything else. But God is doing this. When a people pray, the great prayer writer Andrew Murray said, where there is much prayer, there'll be much of the Spirit. And where there is much of the Spirit, there'll be ever-increasing prayer. It's because you prayed. When you think of those three words, those are seismic words spoken from a prophet to a king. Now listen to this. That turned the tide of a nation where war was looming. Those words were spoken because those words averted a national war. I have the opportunity today in between services to pray for pastors that couldn't speak English. We had to do it through a translator that sat here from Ukraine and are on the front lines of mercy ministry, of, of touching not only refugees, but really just villages and people that just are in great need there from food and, and a number of things is from what, what I was told. But what's incredible is this, as we prayed together, we said, God, raise up praying churches in Ukraine to turn the tide. Raise up praying saints, listen to me, those that may be watching from Russia, that would turn the tide. That folks, this is where it comes from. That's why over these next weeks, Times Square Church, those online, those in person, these will not just be sermons that will go into a book that we'll put in your hands in August and September and that could be used for our connect groups. But these will be challenges that we want to give to you both in person and online. We want to go ahead and give you the challenge because we have two dates coming up that we'll be praying in some, some of the Ivy League campuses that we are going to be praying at. And we're going to ask you, just as we did last year to come with us to Yale University. We'll ask you to come to other of these universities where last year we had 700 show up. We're gonna ask you to do the same. Not just learn about prayer and have a notebook of prayer, but learn how to pray and pray on those places. We're gonna challenge you to come at Tuesdays at 6 p.m., an hour before service starts, and join us here in this sanctuary and pray with us. We're gonna ask you and challenge you to join us with Pastor Carter on Wednesday nights from our Bible school and maybe even go out there and join the prayer meeting right near Hershey, Pennsylvania. I'm gonna ask you at pre-service moments that when you are let into this building on Sundays that you would realize that these altars are, not, are, not, are, are here for us to pray at, that I'm gonna encourage you, once you get your seat, leave your coat there and get down here and then let's start praying and let's start believing for God to do something. You know what I'm also believing for? I stopped this morning at the 10 and the one that many of you don't even realize. It's been going on for 30 years that there is a prayer meeting that while you're up here listening to the message, 
underneath this sanctuary, people are praying and have been praying for you and for the fire of God for 30 years underneath this sanctuary right now. I stopped in to thank them. I stopped in to pray with them at 10, and I stopped in to pray with them at 1. And I believe that sitting in these seats are people that can attend one service and pray one service, that can even pray one service and then attend another service. But I want to believe that God can do that. There are people that are watching online that you're going, I want to be part of prayer teams and pray with people online. No matter where you are in any part of the world, we have prayer teams and partners from all different parts of the world that can be part of that. So I want you to understand and I want you to be ready because I'm telling you right now, you can mark it. In the midst of these 12 to 14 weeks, we are going to have Sunday nights that we're just going to go, let's continue on and pray tonight. Let's go on, go get a cup of coffee, get back here and let's pray together. Folks, I want you to get this down. It's something that I, I keep in my notes to remind me. An old theologian said these words, get this, get this down. He said, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. To clasp the hands in prayer, it's the beginning of an uprising. Let, let, or let me say it to you this way. Let me give you my, my language. To clasp the hands in prayer is a declaration of war. It's a declaration of war on, on, on sin and on bondage. It's a declaration on war on a heart that has grown, grown cold. It's a declaration of war as Stan was leading us in prayer for us to have a burden for the lost again. Every time we pray, it's a declaration of war over the things. that Folks, look at me. That's why it's so hard for people to pray. Because prayer changes things. That's why it's hard. Some of, you are going, some of you are going like, why is it always a battle? Because things change when you pray. That's why it's hard. Do you think when you decide to pray, it's going to go unchallenged? That, how many of you know, every time you try to pray, the baby gets up and people cry, the phone rings. Every, there's always interruptions when you choose to pray. That's why, because when you put those hands together, it's a declaration of war and things begin to happen. I have to tell you what, what took place this morning. This is no accident. This is, an, this is totally a God text that I had to give, come to me this morning at around 6.15 a.m. A, a friend of mine from a different part of the country and works in a different part of the world texted me something. And he said, and he said this, he said, I want you to remember that two days ago, how important this date is, February 9th, 1958, 66 years ago was the anniversary of February 9th, 1958. That date was a day where two, the hands were clasped and there was a declaration of war. I want you to listen to the words. I, I, I didn't even, I, it didn't even dawn on me that that was the date, that we, we just realized what that date was. I want to read to you what the young pastor said in February 9th, 1958, 66 years ago. Listen to it. I was restless. I was beginning to feel a kind of spiritual discontent that I wasn't satisfied by looking at the new church building on its five acres of hilltop land or the swelling missionary budget, or the crowding in the pews. I remember the precise night on which I recognized it, where I saw the discontent. And as people remember important dates in their life, 
It was February 9th, 1958. Two, two days ago was the 66, it was 66 years ago. And on that night, I decided to sell my television set. Now, listen to the rest of it. He said, how much time do I spend in front of that screen each night, I wondered. A couple of hours at least. What would happen, Lord, if I sold that TV set and spent that time praying? I was the only one in the family who ever watched TV anyway. What would happen if I spent two hours every single night in prayer? It was an exhilarating idea. Substitute prayer for television and see what would happen. Right, I, right as soon as I thought this, I thought of the objections to the idea. That date that was mentioned is written in the cross and the switchblade. That's David Wilkerson. Do you, do you understand? History belongs to the intercessors. Some of you are not getting it yet. I know it's one o'clock and you're thinking of a Super Bowl. Which what does, Let me just help you as you're trying to go, please let Pastor Tim finish before 6.30. Let me help you. One is, I may even preach that long so you don't even watch the game tonight. Just want to let you know that. Some of, you, some of you go, you know what? I've seen him go long. He may do it tonight. But let me just say this to you. Let me, let me, let me help you and let, and so you can get this. You are sitting here because David Wilkerson prayed. That's why you're sitting here. Do you understand that? You're not sitting here because somebody went to some organization and go, hey, I'd like to plant a church in New York City. No, 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 no. It was, it was David Wilkerson who all of a sudden sold his TV set. I'll tell you about that story a little bit later on. Sold it, started to pray, started to get a burden in prayer for the gangs of New York City, comes to New York City, ends up witnessing and preaching. Nikki Cruz gets saved, has been used over all of these decades for six decades, winning people to Christ on the level of Billy Graham. David Wilkerson starts what is considered the most successful Christian rehab center in in all the world. This morning, the directors from the first program in Brooklyn were here in this place. And, and, and then you start to realize what has come out of this man's obedience and what has taken place. And who would have thought that as a result of that, he'd, he'd get another burden for New York City and plant this church on 51st and Broadway. You ready for this? Because he prayed. Because he prayed. So you're sitting here in literally the testimony of what happens when you pray. That's what you're sitting in, folks. Somebody had the crazy idea, let me not watch TV, let me pray, and now Times Square Church. Now, Teen Challenge that has set free tens of thousands of drug addicts and alcoholics around the world that are now serving Jesus because he prayed. Because he prayed is a word from Isaiah to Hezekiah that is surrounded of, by a story of God waiting to step in for a nation that is on the verge of war. And literally a war is to take place. What would happen, Israel, if you're watching, Israel, what would happen if you called the churches to prayer? What would happen Ukraine and Russia, what would happen in North Korea? What would happen in our nation to call us to prayer? This is a call to prayer for all of us. Hezekiah's story is so important 
that the Holy Spirit puts it in the scriptures three times. It's that significant. It's put in 2 Chronicles 32. It's put in 2 Kings 19. And probably the oddest one is in Isaiah 36, 37. Because Isaiah doesn't tell narratives. Isaiah is usually a string of prophecies. And then right in the middle of, of all these chapters in Isaiah, God chooses to put in a narrative, a story of what happened when a man began to pray. And you'll see the words, because you prayed is there. This great king called a revival king, Hezekiah, finds himself in the crosshairs of the nation of Assyria that is about to come in and attack him. In fact, the thing that precipitated the attack, or you can say maybe even provoked the attack, we can see from the nuance of 2 Chronicles 32.1, look at these words. After these acts of faithfulness, I'll address that in a second, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. That's, that's where Hezekiah's king besieged the fortified cities and thought that he was going to break into them for himself, which means the army is looming at the gates of Jerusalem. Hundreds of thousands of men getting ready to come in. And what's amazing to me is the first statement, after these acts of faithfulness. It's amazing because... What you start to realize, and let me just help you with this, because some of you have realized this, whether you've been saved for weeks, years, decades. Isn't it amazing that once you start doing what God wants you to do, the enemy always comes in. This, these attacks didn't come from sin. It came from acts of faithfulness. That once you say, I'm doing this for God, get ready, the attacks are on the way. A.W. Tozer was right. To be right with God often means to be in trouble with men. And that's why I truly believe that the attacks of the enemy sometimes are confirmations that you are heading in the right direction. I'm just telling you. So when you see all of these unusual battles come, you may just be doing exactly what God wants you to do and the enemy is opposing those things. Because once you make a decision to pray, once you clasp the hands as a declaration of war, not only will the battles come, but the doubts will come. Once you, once you say yes to Jesus, yes to obedience, the other side of the David Wilkerson story that I was reading, I read it this morning, I went to read on after the text was sent to me, um, is when David Wilkerson made the decision and just said, what could happen if I was to pray? What would happen? That was the clasping of the hands. Then the enemy was going to come in immediately. And Brother Dave, we affectionately call him, said he tried to get out of it. He said, I made it pretty hard on God. Let me read from the cross on the switchblade. He said, I made it pretty hard on God. It seemed to me because I really didn't want to give up my television sets. He said, I said, Jesus, I need some help deciding if this is you. So here's what I'm asking. I'm going to put an ad in the paper, now if you don't know what that is, this is way before Craigslist and eBay. Some of you are going like, what is a newspaper? Okay, this, so he said, I'm gonna put an ad for the, for the TV set in the paper. And if you're behind this idea, let the buyer appear right away. Now we, 
Those who grew up in the church, we call this putting a fleece before the Lord. You know what that is? That's like, that's being in church going, if that person raises their left hand, that's my wife. That's what we do if they raise this. I've, and I've talked with people with all crazy fleeces. Well, and sometimes God will honor that fleece. And this is what David Wilkerson said. He said, if you're behind this idea of me getting rid of my TV set and praying, let a buyer appear right away. In fact, let him appear within an hour after the, after the ad goes out. Then he said, nope, within a half hour. After the paper is delivered, in 30 minutes, they have to call the house to buy the TV set. And then so he, he talked to Gwen about it, his wife, and Gwen um, Said, he said, Gwen was so unimpressed with me. She said, a half an hour? Sounds to me, David Wilkerson, like you really don't want to go pray, is what she said. And if you know Gwen Wilkerson, that's exactly what she would say. So here's what, it, what happens. Gwen had a point, but I put the ad in the paper anyhow. It was a comical scene in our living room. After the paper appeared, I sat on the sofa with the television set looking at me from one side and the children and Gwen looking at me from the other side. And my eyes on a great big alarm clock beside the, beside the telephone. 29 minutes passed by and, and I said, well, Gwen, looks like you're right. I guess I won't have to. And then the phone rang. I picked it up. And the word said, you have a TV set for sale. <laughs> David Wilkerson, that's right. It's an RCA. You don't even know what an RCA is. An RCA in good condition. 19 inches. Two years old. How much do you want for it? David Wilkerson said, $100. I hadn't thought about what to ask for it until that moment. The guy said, I'll take it. And he says, don't you even want to look at it? And the man said, nope. I'll be there in 15 minutes and I'll bring the money. And then David Wilkerson said these words, my life has not been the same since. Because you prayed. Folks, when you clasp the hands, it's a declaration of war. It means Nikki Cruz is going to get saved. The Mau Mau's will come to Christ. Teen child, why do you think the enemy was fighting? And God comes in at the 29th minute and sells the RCA 19-inch TV set. What did Hezekiah do to bring the battles? What were the acts of faithfulness? The Bible tells us in, in 2 Kings 17 and 18 that he started to remove the high places. Then he broke into, the, broke into pieces religious items that had their reason for existence in the beginning, but people started to turn them into objects of worship. That God said, I had you make that for a purpose, but now you're worshiping it. He broke those and, 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 and broke them into pieces. He also went on the attack against the Philistines. And then something interesting happens. In those acts of faithfulness, and you're going to see it come back again, he goes after and rebels against the Syria, is what he does. Now keep that in mind. He rebels against the, that nation of Assyria. Now here's what's amazing. 14 years later, Hezekiah is going to face Assyria for a second time. Assyria comes back for round two after Hezekiah goes after the Philistines and goes after Assyria, goes after the religious idols and goes after the high places. After those acts of faithfulness, 14 years later, when everything seemed to be going right, here comes Assyria again. Let me read it to you. 
2 Kings 18.7, and the Lord was with them wherever he went and he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. Verse 11, then the king of Assyria carried Israel away into exile into Assyria. Now Israel, that's not Judah at this time. The kingdom is divided. So, so Assyria goes after half of the nation of Israel, but not Judah, and put them in Hala and on the Habor, the river of Gazan, and in the cities of the Medes. And then here's what it says. And in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, comes up against all the fortified cities of Judah and sees them. It almost seems that after Assyria defeats Israel, that they become emboldened and said, now let's go after Judah. This victory seems to embolden them to go after Hezekiah. Now, I, have to, I, I struggled whether to read this part, but I feel like it's so important to read this part because in the middle, before, before Hezekiah becomes an intercessor, history belongs to the intercessors, Hezekiah tries to become a negotiator. Folks, look at me. You can never negotiate with evil. You can never compromise and create a peace treaty with wickedness. Now listen, here it is. Listen to what he does. And I don't know what snapped him out of it, but there's this moment that I'm going, Hezekiah, you're this revival king. What are you doing? Let me read it to you. This is in verse 14. Then Hezekiah, this is after Assyria comes back 14 years later. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria, saying, I have done wrong. I'm going, what do you mean you've done wrong? You rebelled? You don't go into the hands of these people. Withdraw from me, he says. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear it. So the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver, 30 talents of gold. This is massive money. Hezekiah gave him all the silver which was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasury of the king's house. Now, folks, if that's not enough, you ready for this? This is almost, this, 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 talk about um, groveling. Look what he does here. And at the same time, Hezekiah cut the gold from the doors of the temple and from the doorpost which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave the gold from the temple and gave it to Assyria. Hezekiah was becoming a negotiator. He would be, yes, Hezekiah. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was fantastic. <laughs> This is why, this is why I love Times Square Church. It just, they were shocked. That person was as shocked as I was. Hezekiah negotiates with the enemy that he once fought against. He is giving Assyria money from the treasury of the house of the Lord to keep peace between them. And he goes as far as cutting the gold off the doors of the house of God and giving it to the enemy. Now, folks, I'm going to say it again. You don't negotiate with evil. There is no peace treaties with evil. And today, I'm going to say this. Today, the prayerless church is negotiating its theology with, 
with the enemy. Listen to me. The prayerless church is negotiating what God has given to us in this book. The gold of this book. The golden promises of God. And we're negotiating the, the timeless truths of God with the enemy. We do this. There are churches now that are beginning to accept things that, so we don't get in fights. We don't have protests. And they, they do it so everybody, every sin is accepted as normal instead of beginning to trust what this book has to say. And so what they've done is, as Hezekiah has cut gold off the doors of the, of the, of the temple, we're cutting scriptures out handing them over to the enemy saying, here, you can take this because we really don't believe this. It's a challenge to pastors. It's a challenge to leaders to start praying again and to start calling things what the word of God calls them and us taking a stand. If you want to know what's right, Call a prayer meeting. Get back on your knees and let God guide you. Folks, if it's sin, then you call it sin. You don't sit there and negotiate because we're afraid of what they'll say to us online, what they'll post us. Listen, there's people now posting stuff right now about me. I don't care. I'm 60 years old. I'm going to die soon anyway. It doesn't matter to me. Like it hurts. Like you're doing something. Listen, go ahead and post what you want. We'll pray it down. We'll pray it down. We'll pray it down. Ready? You think by you think your keyboard is a weapon. This is the weapon that God has given to us. That's why we have here, I'm just letting you know, just in case you're thinking before you get born again today, if you're here today, and if you're here or anytime, we, we, have, we, have, we already have it in place that if you're gonna, if you're gonna protest in, inside, this, inside this house, what we do immediately, just so you know, soon as you start screaming, this is what we do, we start singing. And so we start doing this, we start singing, how great, is a, and then we all stand together. Come on. Sing louder. Come on. Let's bring them down. And while they are protesting, security will take them out. We'll pray over them. And then we'll just then go, after you sing, we'll go, be seated. And I'll go back to preaching. Just what we do. So I'm just letting you know. Hallelujah. It was G. Campbell Morgan that said, the reason why men do not look to the church today is she has destroyed her own influence by compromise. There are hours when the church must say no to those who would ask communion with her in the doing of her work upon the basis of compromise. And let, here's, here's why and what... what Hezekiah, maybe this is what got and slapped him back into reality and to realize that he wasn't a negotiator, but he's an intercessor. Once you negotiate with the enemy, they will come back for more. 
Once you say, oh, we'll accept this, we'll hire, we'll do this, the enemy then will take more. Look, look what happens. When, when he gives them all the gold, then the king of Assyria sent Tartan, Rabsaris, Rabshakeh, to King Hezekiah with a large army. He says, I just got the gold now. Now I'm sending my whole army to take over. So they went up and came to Jerusalem. He wasn't interested in just a tribute of money. Now Assyria wants it all. And look at me, folks. That's what's happening in the church today. When you sell, listen to me, Pat. When you sell out, when you compromise the goal that's in this scripture, the enemy will come for more. Now look how brazen Assyria is. You ready for this? This, this got me. Look at verse 25. And he says, have I now come without the Lord's approval against this place to destroy? He said, I didn't, I didn't need God's approval to come. I bypassed your God. And then it was almost with mockery. He goes, this is, this is Rabshakeh. This is the Assyrian talking. The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Do you see what he was doing? He was mocking the word of God. Going, God told me, come up and kill all of you. That's what he was doing. They start mocking God. Look at verse 32. But do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you, saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any one of the gods of the nations delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Who among all the gods of the land have delivered their land from my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. And the enemy keeps talking. We call it chirping. He just keeps, how many know those voices? It's like, it just, it gets in your head. Folks, listen. Let me tell you what happened to me Monday this last week. For Hezekiah, it took 14 years for the chirping to come. For me, it took 14 hours that the chirping started. As soon as I began to speak to you about what God is beginning to lead us on, to win a billion souls, to raise $2 million, that we could begin to see what God wants to do around the globe and to, and to see as God has opened up the doors for 187 of 193 nations that we're waiting on two to three more um, language channels to go out and a number of other things that we mapped out to you last week. Soon as that was done, it was as if Assyrians came into my head. Are you out of your mind? A billion, that, that's ridiculous. That will never happen. You'll be the laughing stock of New York City. And in fact, they'll laugh at you at all 187 of those countries that you want to win to. And it just kept going. Two million dollars? No one's going to buy into that. That's ridiculous. And folks, and and the, word, the thing that I, I, I came back to is this, is the worst thing to do is to start negotiating with that voice, is to start talking to it. Yeah, maybe you're, because you start agreeing with it. Am I the only one that has done that? You're just going like, yeah, that is dumb. What am I saying? This is, and all of a sudden, God goes, you don't need to talk to them, you need to talk to me. Because that's not, that's their, that voice is going to say, there won't be a billion souls. That voice will say, you could forget this being raised. See, Assyria then, if it wasn't enough of talking, they give Hezekiah, the people, letters to give to the king from them. He said, so they're chirping, and they go, here's a letter for the king. Look at this in 2 Chronicles 32, 17. And he also wrote letters to insult the Lord God of Israel. Wow. Talk about brazen to insult the Lord, 
and to speak against them, saying, as the gods of the nations of the lands have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. And this is what they said, give that to Hezekiah. It's not only chirping, it's a letter. Now folks, get this down. This is what I've learned, and I got this listening, reading Hezekiah. He who kneels before God can stand before anyone. He who kneels before God can stand before anyone. That's, that's, that's all that Hezekiah has left. So folks, I have to tell you, I want to bring you to Hezekiah. I want to bring you to where, where the negotiator becomes the intercessor. And at the end, I want to tell you how inter- history belongs to the intercessors. A war is turned. A war is averted. A war is changed. So Hezekiah takes the letter. Look at it. Verse 14. Then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And instead of dialoguing with the letter, what does he do? He went up to the house of the Lord, spread it out before the Lord. Folks, listen, some of you have to do that, whether you get it snail mail, whether it's a text or an email, put it before God and stop responding to the text, the email or the letter and lay it out before God. And this is what he prays. Hezekiah prayed. Good job, Hezekiah. You had just a little blip on the radar as a negotiator when you should have been an intercessor. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord God and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who are enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of this earth. You have made heaven and earth, and I want to throw in there, and Sennacherib. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. And truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. But they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. So they they have destroyed them. Now, O Lord our God, I pray deliver us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Hallelujah. Soon as he prays this, you ready for this? That's verse 19. As soon as he prays this, the prophet shows up. Isaiah sent this to Hezekiah saying, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Look at it. Because you have prayed to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I heard it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He says, because you pray, he says, not because you negotiated, not because you compromised, not because you showed up at church, because you prayed. He said, I heard that prayer. Folks, history belongs to the intercessors. That prayer is what changed the direction of war. Let me give you these, these two things and we close today. Here it is, because I, this is what I've learned. Number one, got, get this down. Prayer is not our reaction to tough times. It's our DNA all the time. You understand what I'm saying? You don't just pray when it's tough. We don't pray because we're in trouble. We pray because we're praying people. That's why we pray. Billy Graham said, true prayer is a way of life. 
not just for, to use in cases of emergency. Make it a habit. And when the need arises, you'll already be practiced up. That's what we do. We pray all the time. That's what God wants us to do. Pray without ceasing. Pray on the F train. Pray at LaGuardia. Pray on the business trip. Pray over your meal at home. Pray when you walk into the church. Pray for the person that you're sitting next to. Pray, pray, pray. And then when trouble comes, you go, I know how to do this. I just cry out to God. We are so obsessed with our phones today. It's in our DNA to always go, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Where's my phone? If, you, you know it. I mean, it it's, it's all there. Because we're just going, like, this, is, this is my life. My whole life is here. A research firm just recruited a number of people and they put a software on it and they said, we want to track how many interactions you have with your phone every day. Get ready to be convicted. So, and by every interaction, it meant every tap, type, swipe, and click. So that means whether you're texting, emailing, searching, tick, Talking, tick-tacking, whatever you're doing, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to begin to figure it out. They said the heaviest phone users tap, click, swipe on their phone 5,500 times a day. The average person, they said that's the excessive ones, which some of you are. They said the other ones are about, the average person is about 25, 2,600 times. And if you figure that out, folks, this is what they said. They said the average person is tapping their phone a million times a year. 2,700. You could do it on your, on your phone right now. And that, that'll count towards your 2,700 <laughs> for the day. Check my numbers out. 2,700 times 365. You're going to get close to a million. Folks, we need that kind of frequency with God. We need a church that knows how to tap, click, and swipe with God. David Wilkerson, it was a television. For us today, it really is a cell phone. It really is the distraction piece. That's why he stands best who kneels most. He stands strongest who kneels first. He stands longest who kneels lowest. Bent knees will mean strong backs and convictions for you and for the church of Jesus Christ. And we need to start developing the frequency, the DNA of a prayer life. We'll go through that. We'll take a message and go through on how to develop that prayer life. Prayer is an acknowledgement. Every time we pray, it's an acknowledgement that we need God. Leonard Ravenhill, as I mentioned earlier, went on to say this, a man who is intimate with God will never be intimidated by men. A man who is intimate with God will never be intimidated. Can I tell you what that word intimate means? It means where you get more touches, swipes, and clicks with God. That's what it means. A man who is intimate, a woman who is intimate with God, will never be intimidated by men. We've been vocal too long in the wrong areas. God is going to teach us to raise our voices again, not in rallies, marches, and festivals, but on our knees in the quiet place, in the secret place. That's why the church today doesn't just need theology. It needs neology. It needs to get alone with God. That the church can say that we can hear the testimony because you prayed, because you prayed, because you prayed. 
It's the church calling us back to our, it's the God calling us back to our knees, this church back to his knees. And what I love is this, is in between the battle and the victory, it was Hezekiah's words changed. Let me read to you what Hezekiah said to the people. This is what prayer does. He's not negotiating anymore. Look what he says to the people in 2 Chronicles 32, 7. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him. I love this part. For there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So here's where we end. As the band comes, let me just, let me close with this. Here's where we end. I, I, I don't know any other way to say this except the way it took place for them. Here it is. So prayer becomes our DNA, not our, not our, our, our thing for troubled times. It's always us. We're praying church. We pray not because we're in trouble. We pray because we're praying people. But here's the second thing, and this is the one that gave me comfort, and I learned from this story. Number two, after you pray, go to sleep and know that God's got it from here. Go to sleep. Folks, this is, this is the part that brought joy to me. Hezekiah's victory came while he was sleeping. He wasn't even part of it. God did it all. God wins battles in unusual ways. Stop telling God what to do. Just pray and let God be God. That's why I think Isaiah, Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I'm God. Let me be God. Let me do what only I can do. People get overwhelmed because they can't figure out an answer to their crisis. That's God's problem. You know what God tells them? He says, what I'm about to do, this is what he tells Hezekiah. He says, what I'm about to do, you have 200,000 people at your gate. And he says to them, there won't be an arrow that will be shot into your city. If I'm, I'm going, then God, you better do something now. You better, I'm not going to sleep until I go to sleep. God knows what he's doing. You can't fix this. So can I, let me show you what happened just because he prayed. Here it is. Verse 32, and then we close. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he will not come to this city. He will not shoot an arrow there. He will not come before it with a shield. He will not throw up a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return, and he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Okay? Now here it is. He gets the word. Now it's go to sleep. You ready? This is amazing. Verse 35. Then it happened. That night... The angel, keep it in mind, singular, the angel, which means how many? One of the Lord went out and struck 185,000. 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when they rose up early the next morning, 
said. What he said was, you pray, go to sleep. I got it from here. You pray, go to sleep. God's got it from here. You pray, go to sleep. God's got it from here. Just pray, go to sleep, hallelujah. Let God do what only God can, hallelujah. Stand with me, hallelujah. Hallelujah. God fought while his people slept. Here's my question. Who here would have even thought of just saying, God, 185,000, we just need one angel. None of you would have thought that. You would have been asking for every available angel in heaven. We said, God, 185,000. That's Yankee Stadium times three. And they're all armed. They're coming at us. They're sending letters. They're saying, you're going to lose your job. They're saying, it's all over with. They're going to shut you down. They're going to do all, and all of a sudden, you're going, God, I need every angel you've got. And God goes, you prayed? Go to sleep. I got it from here. I got this from here. Let me take this from here. Because nobody in this place would have said, um, Lord, I beseech you. Just one angel is all I need. Just send one. Just one. Because you don't realize one angel, one angel that works out at Planet Fitness can take out 185,000 in one night. In one night. Here it is. Just because you prayed. Just because you prayed. Just because you involve God into the situation. Folks, let me just tell you this. You know what that is? It's, here's the best way I can explain it. Because we would have tried, we would have said, God, send a host of angels. If there's 185,000 people, send 185,000 angels. And God, we're going to need your help. And I'm going to need, and give us a lot of equipment. Or, or we probably would have prayed, give us a lot of equipment. Let's send a rich businessman to give us a lot of, a lot of weapons. Send a rich business, get, let a rich businessman get saved. And, and so, so we can, and God goes, go to sleep. You're hurting my head. Go to sleep. One angel can take care of this. While you're trying to forecast what, let me tell you what this is. Paul described it this way in Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do ooh, exceedingly and what? Uh, above all that we can ask for. Here, here it is. Look at that verse. Oh God, I need it. God goes, okay, I got you. I got you. That's all I need. But I didn't even say angel. You don't have to say anything. Just pray. Don't pray what needs to happen. Just pray like Hezekiah. You're in charge. You're over the nations. Pray what you know. God will do what you have no idea what he can do. He can go above and beyond anything you ask or think. Hallelujah. I have to, I, when I think of this verse, this is what I thought about. I have to just read this to you. I was reading the story of a woman who received a call that her daughter had to leave work because she was sick. 
And the, her mom and the daughter, just one of her first jobs, got sick in the same city. So she's, the mom goes, okay, you go home. I'll stop by the pharmacy to get your prescription. So the mom goes into the prescription, goes to the, the Dwayne Reed and gets in there. When the mom comes out with the prescription, she locked her keys in the car. And this is, this is mom. She's older. She doesn't know what to do. Oh God, what am I going to do here? So she just, this is what our, us old schoolers do. Some this is before key fobs and everything else. She got a hanger. How many remember the hanger days that you have to go through and, and try to pull up the, she said she got it. She couldn't even get it through the window. She goes, I don't even know how to use this. I've got a, I don't even know what I'm doing. So this is what she did. Get ready. Ephesians 3.20. She bowed her head and she goes, God, send help. She said in less than three minutes, this motorcycle, a Harley Davidson pulls up I mean, loud, right next to it. And this bearded man who was wearing an old biker skull rag and a leather jacket, a leather vest, gets off and she goes, could you help me get, my, get into my car? And, he's, and she goes, my daughter is sick. I've locked my keys in there and I gotta get home. I don't even know how to use this hanger to unlock my car. And the man said, sure. She said in less than 30 seconds. She was done. She hugged the man and through her tears, she said, thank you so much. You're such a nice man. And the man goes, lady, I'm not a nice man. He goes, I just got out of prison yesterday for car theft. Listen to this. Listen to this. And the woman threw up her hands and she says, thank you, God. Not only did you answer my prayer, but you sent a professional. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Above and beyond what we can ask or think, God can work in our behalf. Just because you prayed. How many are on the verge of Assyrians breaking in? You need a miracle. You need a victory right now. Okay, we're, we're going to pray. Balcony, main floor, online. If you need a, if you need a victory right now. We're going to sing this. You come quickly. We're going to pray for that victory right now. And we're going to believe. Come on, you come. We're going to pray for that right now. Get out of your seat. Balcony will wait for you online. Just type in online. I got to see a victory. Just type it in. Come on. Come on, let's sing it. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. Come on, come on, church. I'm gonna see your victory. I'm gonna see your victory. For the battle belongs to Lord. I'm gonna see you. When I'm down on my knees, when I'm praying for my need, belongs to you, Lord.
Now what we're going to do is this. We're going to make, we're going to declare war now for the next few moments. Remember this? The clasping of the hands is a declaration of war. Would you just take those hands? Just, just, you could just get them in, in position. This is, this is, this is battle ready. This gets us battle ready right now. When you do this, you are declaring war in that situation. Can I, can I just tell you, some of you are in a situation, I just felt to say this, even with immigration, of seeing God give a breakthrough with immigration papers, and you're going, God, I want to do this the right way. I have friends that are telling me to cheat on this, to lie, to do nothing, and, just, and, and, and it's easier for me just to, just to not declare. And, and right now, we're, just, we're going to put our hands together and declare war and say, God, we're going to do what's right. And we're going to believe for a breakthrough that we're going to we're going to see i want to believe for that right now i want to believe that god as we begin to clasp our hands so let's begin just to declare war father right now in the name of jesus father hundreds here are declaring war online and in person and they're saying i got to see a victory the assyrians are at the gate lord god we're trying to negotiate. We're trying to negotiate and even compromise. We're cutting corners and cutting gold off doors. But God, you're asking today that you want to raise up a praying people. You're raising up a praying people that say, God, I'm going to trust you on this. I'm going to pray. I'm going to go to sleep and let you do what only you can do, Lord God. Father, there are people here that have lost sleep at night. There are people that have stayed up at night trying to diagram what to do next. They're trying to write out plans and trying to write out things and what to do if A doesn't work and B can't happen. But Lord, today we say we pray, we go to sleep, and we put it in God's hands right now. We put it in God's hands right now. So Father, I pray, raise up praying people. Raise up a praying church. Raise up an army of intercessors. History belongs to the intercessors history change history i pray for those that are watching and those that are here that are russian and ukrainian for those that are jewish and israelis and i pray that you would raise up intercessors in those countries that would turn that war turn those wars raise up intercessors in the middle east raise up intercessors here in new york city raise up intercessors lord god in our apartment buildings in our schools and universities we put our hands together and we clasp them together and we say god raise up praying people right now in jesus name in jesus name we are going to see a victory hallelujah hallelujah listen I want to read something to you. It's, I didn't read it in the first service because we were just close. And we're, but I want you to see this because this is really the challenge. Because there are people that are sitting in these seats that God wants to use you to be, in the fur, to be part of the furnished room. I, you know what I've been praying for? I've been praying for 700 intercessors in our furnished room. I've been praying for 700 intercessors. I, I want to pray that the rooms we have are way too small. That some of you are going to go, I go to church on 10 at 1. I go, I attend the 10 and I pray at the 1. Or I go to the, I pray at the, the, the 1 and I attend the 10. Whatever it may be. I want you to be raised up as intercessors. One of my favorite writers on prayer is a man named Samuel Chadwick. And he says this, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil mocks at our wisdom but he trembles when we pray 
Listen to me. Band, singers, the enemy laughs if I stand up here without praying. The enemy just goes, then go, go to a university. Go speak it, go speak it to God. Laughs if we think our gifting and our talent, amazing voices, that's not enough. Amazing gifting on that, not enough. Amazing what many of you can do, not enough. We need to be praying people. It's what this, why, why was Daniel considered to have an extraordinary spirit? Because he was a man of prayer. He would pray three times a day. We haven't even talked about Daniel. What made him different from anybody. So if you're a professor here for a university, if you work in retail, if you work on Wall Street, you know what distinguishes you? Be a praying person. It'll distinguish you. Listen, you can go, oh, but they got their degree from Harvard, and I just got mine from, from NYU, and, and Harvard is, is, I know you're going to argue with that. It's just an illustration, so just calm down. So just, and you're, you're sitting there, you're going, and, and, I, and I think, folks, what will distinguish you is be a woman of prayer. Be a man of prayer. That's what distinguishes everything. And can I tell you the, the greatest thing, the last thing, the greatest thing that changed, the one prayer that will change history for you right now, right now, is when you pray for Christ to come in and change your life. It's the born again prayer. That's a history making prayer. What, what do you mean, Pastor Tim? It changes you now and forever because it opens up heaven and eternity. So if you were to pray right now to be born again, that's history. History belongs to the intercessors. What do you mean by that, Pastor Tim? Jesus said this. No man, woman, no student, senior, next gen, no one can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. That's not my words. It's Jesus' words. And this is what they mean. Just as you had a first birth physically, you need a second birth spiritually. This is, the, this is history belongs to the intercessors. You can pray right now, and, you're, and it's changed. Well, Pastor Tim, how do I become born again? It's as simple as ABC. A, I admit that I'm a sinner. I'm broken on the inside. Ricardo, myself, Leah, we're all broken on the inside. Our condition is called sin. And I can't fix the sin issue inside of me with a program, a prescription. There's not a priest, a pastor, a synagogue, a mosque. There's not a promise you can make to say, I promise never to do it again. None of that will ever change. Only God can fix it. We're not mistakers in need of correction. We're sinners in need of a savior. How does it happen? B, believe. Believe that God sent his son 2,000 years ago to fix my sinful condition. He would die the death I deserved. Would live the life I had no chance of living. And give me a reward I don't even deserve. Heaven and forgiveness. And then C, confess him as Lord. What does that mean? That's what changes it from religion to relationship. When you call him Lord, you're saying, you don't just get to talk to me on Sundays, you talk to me every day. You have veto rights. Look at me, folks. Jesus didn't come 2,000 years ago and die on the cross just to get you to church. That's religion. Jesus came 2,000 years ago to get you to heaven. That's what he came for. It could happen right now. Online, around the world, Venezuela, Cuba. Listen, listen, Kenya. Listen, listen, Gabon, listen right now, UK and the Philippines, listen, New Zealand, and listen, 51st and Broadway. If you're here today and want your life changed and say, I want to be born again, and just say, 
I want history changed right now for me, my family, my children, and my grandchildren. Pastor Tim, when you pray that born-again prayer, I want to be part of that. Keep your heads up. Keep your eyes open. Say, put me in that prayer without any hesitation. Hold your hand up as high as you can. Say, put me in that prayer. Look at all these hands. Keep them up. Look at this. Look at all these hands. Yes, yes, all over there. Yes, yes, yes. Balcony, gotcha. All in the middle there. Yes, yes, yes. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. This is amazing. Come on, let's pray this together. Everybody in this place, say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say it loud now. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. The Bible is my guide. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.